0: Hey, everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Um, I I wonder... um... How many times, actually it is countless the number of times, I've had someone say to me, if I have to add one more thing to my schedule, fill in the blank. They're going to go crazy. They're going to whatever the case is. Like, my life is so busy. I don't have any space. I don't have any margin in my life. Well, Brenda and I heard that a lot as we were praying and as we were planning for what Restore Church might be um, six years ago when we started the conversation. And one of the things that we uh, decided early on was that um, we don't believe that church needs to be complex. In fact, we're convinced it can be fairly simple. But... We realize that when we say simple, you can sort of um, decide what you want about what that word actually means as it relates to church. But we don't think that it means being lazy. It doesn't mean being lackadaisical. It uh, really is simply uh, just let's do a few things really well and let's lean in to those few things and see what God might do through our efforts. So, We decided we would do three things. So we gather to worship, uh, we gather to serve, and we gather in relationship. Now as I I was rethinking this this uh, this week, I realized that, um, you know, if we're thinking about this holistically, we don't ever gather together to worship that we don't also serve and we also are in relationship. I mean, there's the little things that we do, like, hey, say hi to a few people around you before you're seated. Enjoy some candy. Those are just, like, helpful exercises that we build into our time together. Our weekend serving, uh, gathering serves as our, it's like our primary vehicle for inspiring and equipping each other for the work that God has created each of us to do. So, like this morning, as you moved into this space, you were greeted by our host team, coffee was served in the lounge, your kids are receiving right now age-appropriate uh, teaching in the classrooms upstairs, uh, you were led in worship by our team of like incredible musicians and vocalists this morning, and all of this happens because we have a vision for what the local church could be and can be. It doesn't mean that we just go to church. See, that's what we sometimes get in our head, like, yeah, I'm going to go to church. I know that's what we say. I know we say, I'm going to go to church. But really, when we go to church, it simply means that we are assembling with other believers and non-believers alike as the body of Christ, where each of us apart, each of us are the Imago Dei, we are created in the image of God, and we're gathering to serve, to encourage, to worship, to teach, to give. Each of us as followers of Jesus, we are the church, we're the local church, we're not the building, but it's you and I stepping into relationship bringing all of ourselves. You know what? We bring all of our worst parts, our best parts, our broken parts, our fractured pieces, our rough edges. We bring it all into the light so that together, as we gather, we can be healed and restored and transformed. And most of all, we are aligned with Almighty God. So if we understand this, Then we'll also understand that that this time together informs how we'll live our Monday through Saturday in the real world. So we like to think, and you guys all know this, like the way we are here should also be the way that we are in our day-to-day lives out there in the real world. So the questions for this coming week might be, will we deal honestly with our clients and our customers, in the work that we do, will we believe the best of our coworkers? How about our spouse? How about our kids? Will we look at the beggar on the street and be rev- like had this sense of revulsion about that person, or will we see the value in that person? Will we tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God? It's an awful thing when people that follow the way of Jesus also lie and don't tell the truth. See, in all of our dealings, wherever we go, there we are. And wherever we go, we will need to assess how we go. How will we go? Do we go with faith do we go with the, the, the understanding, the fortitude, that uh, believing that God has given us everything we need to live a life according to, as Brenda referred to it last week, the royal law of love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself? Will we go with a life that is aligned with, uh, that reflects the belief that we say we have? Because as you and I gather here today for the purpose of worship, we do so as a way of acknowledging that God did not send Jesus to take on humanity and then die on a cruel piece of wood in order for you and I to sit in these awesomely comfortable seats and say, hmm, you know... I'm a good person, and if there's a nice place to go after I die, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go there. But in the meantime, the game starts at noon, so can we get this going? That's not why God sent Jesus. There's more to it than that. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah got this word from the Lord, and the Lord said to Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. That's true for you and I as well. Before we were born, God knew us. He set us apart. This is who we are, set apart for the purposes of God. So, what are those purposes? The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is our purpose. Good works for the purpose of salvation, though? No, that's not what he's saying. Paul is saying, we are saved to do good works. We are saved to good works, not by good works. I've been telling the team here that sometimes, you know, people don't do what you want them to do. They just don't do it. It happens in the real world out there, it happens in here, you know? And so, what are we responsible for? Are we responsible for how people actually respond? Or are we responsible to those people? And that's the, that's the shift that we're making, that we've had to make, that I've made a long time ago, is like, I'm responsible to you, but what you do with this word this morning, I'm not responsible for. You get to choose and you get to decide, and then you get to live out the ramifications of those choices. So let's go to James chapter 2. With that introduction, let's go to James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. I'm going to read straight through to 26. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue. Some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So, we, so you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So let's break this down. Verse 14 to 17. James says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? He continues on and kind of giving some examples. And then he, then he says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Okay. So, you know, last week when Brenda preached, um, she talked about speeding on US 20. Do you remember that? So... So Brenda has an intellectual faith about the speed limit. She has knowledge about the speed limit. I don't know how much faith she actually has in it, but she has knowledge about what the speed limit is. And she said, I set my cruise at 60 in a 50. So Brenda's decided that she has intellectual faith with that. She has intellectual knowledge about the speed limit, but she's actually not going to adhere to it, right? Right? So, so, go with me here. (laughs) She has intellectual, the intellectual knowledge, she has the intellect, but she's not actually putting that intellect into action. So she likes to talk to you about, sometimes, she hasn't for a while, because I haven't gotten speeding tickets for a while, but she likes to tell you that when I do, she gets more bling, she gets more jewelry. There are consequences for your actions, and so I don't speed anymore, right? James four seventeen. if a couple weeks from now we're going to talk about this, uh, you could apply this as well to the situation. If you know the right thing to do and don't do it, for you it is evil. Uh, so, you know, um, what we know intellectually has to be transferred to our action as well. This is what James is talking about here because when we have authentic faith it transforms our conduct as well as our thoughts so we don't just think it but we actually are transformed in our actions so if our lives remain unchanged when we confess Jesus and we don't change anything we don't really believe what we claim to believe it's really the bottom line If we don't change, we don't really believe what we claim to believe. So then in verse 17, James says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Now, if we just stop reading there, if you've read your Bible at all, you know that Paul would say in, um, let's see, in in chapter three of Romans, he would say, so we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. He also says in Romans 10, he says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, who's telling the truth here? What's the right? Are they, are they in conflict? Are James and Paul saying two different things? Why do they sound so different? Well, we have to read scripture in context. James was writing, at the very front of this, uh, of this uh, book, we read in verse one of chapter one, I am writing to the Jewish believers scattered abroad. So in context, James is writing to the Jewish believers who were more inclined toward intellect. They were more inclined to think about things at, a, at an intellectual level, and Paul was writing to, in Romans, he was writing to non-Jews. He was writing to Gentiles. He was writing to people like you and I. But Paul also said, because those Gentiles were, were more inclined towards works-based salvation. And so do the right thing, and then you will be saved. So they're, so they're both saying the same thing to different people. And then Paul, actually, if you read Galatians, we did a series on Galatians a while back, and Galatians is full of pointing us to the fruit of the Spirit. So Paul is saying, like, hey, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're going to bear fruit. You're actually going to be a person of love, of joy, of peace, and patience, and kindness. You're going to do all of these things as a result of God's work in you. And finally, he closes out verse 17 and says... If you don't have the results, if, you're, if the results of your faith aren't actually a changed life, then your faith is useless and dead. Your faith is useless and dead. And then in verse 18, James introduces an antagonist. When he starts the argument, it it's a hypothetical situation. But he says, so some people may have, uh, someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds but I can show you my faith by my good deeds, he says. He's talking to the Jewish people who have grown up. They have never known anything other than, than, than the way that they do things. They, they had a, a complete shift in their, in their thinking. And they grew up with the Jewish confession of faith. And I practice saying this word, and still I'm going to butcher it, but the Shema, the Shema was the Jewish confession of faith. You find it in Deuteronomy 6. It says, hear, O Lord, or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. James is saying, you say all of this, you say that, that um, you have faith in God, but your actions don't actually follow it up because if you have faith, it's, it's yes, it is what you believe internally, but how we behave externally will be the sign. We have it internally, but how we behave externally will be the sign. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. And I jumped to my next notes without actually reading the scripture, so let me go back and read 19 and 20, and it'll make more sense. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, he says. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And this is where he points to the Shema, because faith is not just internal, it is also external. And then he goes and says, brings the whole demonic realm into it, and says, yeah, you think that you have faith? So do the demons. They actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and they, they, they shudder in terror. And what he's pointing to is some of the things that happened during the life of Jesus. In Mark chapter one, Thirty-four, Verse 34, Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons, and here it is, knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. In Luke 4, once he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out shouting, Go away! Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command shouting, You are the Son of God, but because they knew who he was. Are you catching this? Over and over and over, there is proof that the demonic realm knows who Jesus is, and Jesus rebuked them and refused to let them speak. The demonic realm has information, but they don't have transformation. Do you know people? Do you have information but have not allowed transformation to occur in your life? The demonic realm knows about Jesus. They know about the love of Jesus, but they themselves do not love. The demonic realm is rebellious, not repentant. Demonic faith sounds really harsh, but in reality... That is what we have if we don't have faith that produces good works. Good works that looks like a dynamic living faith. Not only do we confess with our mouth, we respond with actions that back up what we have just said. So James likes to bring in, so he brings in a couple characters from the Old Testament. He brings in Abraham and he brings in uh, Rahab into this conversation, and so we read from verse 21, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he uh, offered his son Isaac on the altar. His faith and actions worked together. They weren't separated. It was like hand in glove. His faith was represented by his actions. See, uh, Faith alone is what Abraham had, but it wasn't just faith by itself. It was also faith with action. Faith and works are inseparable. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers. Look, if you aren't familiar with Rahab and Abraham, read read the Old Testament and you'll you'll find that Rahab was, man, she was from Jericho. And they sent spies, and the children of Israel sent spies in to to check out the land before they, they took it over. And they connected with Rahab. And she is labeled to this day as a prostitute. But you know what? Rahab's heart was changed. She believed with the heart, she confessed with her mouth, and she acted on that profession of faith. And when she did, Rahab changed the trajectory of her lineage. She changed the trajectory because she made a confession of faith and she acted on it. Rahab married a guy later, his name was Salmon. He had a son whose name was Boaz who married Ruth Who had a son whose name was Obed? He was Jesse. His his uh, son was Jesse, the father of David. And through that lineage, through the lineage of the prostitute Rahab, came Jesus. So when you think that your life has been off track for too long. It's important for us to get perspective, to think and know what is true about us. What is true for me? To, can I still follow Jesus when I have committed an awful sin, when I have committed uh, myself to a life that is not living the way of Jesus? Can I still become, can I come back from that? And the answer, of course, is always yes, yes. Brenda last week also talked to us about how God does not show favoritism. God is for all people. He is no respecter of people. The sun shines, the scripture says the sun shines and the rain falls on both the just and the unjust. And here we see it, clear as day, Abraham was a man, Rahab was a woman. No favoritism here between the sexes. God is for all people. Abraham was respected, Rahab was disreputable. Abraham was the father of the faithful, and Rahab, she wasn't a Jew, she was a foreigner. So what was the work of Abraham? What was the work of Abraham? What were the good works, the good deeds that he did? Well, for starters, he held nothing back from God. He gave, he was willing to sacrifice his son, his only son, the seed that was promised to Abraham. When God said, I need what you most love, he was willing to give it up. God said, I want your son, and Abraham got up early the next morning. In prompt obedience. What was the work of Rahab? Rahab reached out and took into her own home those who were needy and helpless. Rahab was going to lose her life if she's discovered, but she did what she did regardless of the cost to herself. See, the life of ultimate faith then is a a patterning of our lives after Jesus, who in his obedience to God and his love for humans like you and I, people who have been in a cyclical cycle of sin, he came, took it upon himself, became a human being, and gave his life for our redemption. The life of faith is a life of obedience. And in particular, it's a, it's a life of obedience to, again, the royal law reflected in our love for the needs of our neighbors. This means that your life and my life of faith is that when we place, uh, uh, when we find our place in the kingdom of God, uh, it is not contingent. So uh, it's not contingent on saying a few words and then getting on with our life. Our life of faith is not contingent on a few words. The faith life is more than you and God in a long past private transaction of the heart. It's found in the act of obedience, of following Jesus, holding nothing back from God, and living into love that holds nothing back from other human beings. There's this concept in theology called uh, decisionism, and conversion, or versus conversion. I mean, those two things kind of vie against each other. Decisionism is this idea that if I just say the right words, then I can get on with my life. I just explained that. When we are converted, it means that we are um, repenting of our sin. We are quick to repent and say, yes, if I mean what I say, then I'm going to act Differently. I'm actually going to do good work. I'm going to develop the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I'm gonna allow the Holy Spirit to like get me deep within, to really bring about the changes that I know that are called for. See, I could, I could preach and I could declare the good news of Jesus, which I do. But if I stopped there and didn't preach the other side of the coin, you would simply say the right words and not follow it up with the right actions. But we are called to be a people that not only declare that we are followers of Jesus, but we then walk a different way. Because simply, repentance simply means I'm walking this way and I'm repenting, and so when I repent, I turn and I'm walking this way. I'm going a different direction than I did previously. You cannot make the confession of faith and continue living the way you've always lived and expect that you are actually living the way of Jesus. He calls us to radical life change. He calls us to a life that is transformed by his spirit within us. Some of us need to stop doing the thing that we're doing because we think that that will make God smile on us. And we need to start trusting in what Jesus has already done. This means that we, that we change, uh, we get better, we do good, uh, not to endear him to us, but because he first loved us. And he's already all in. He's already endeared toward us. He's committed like he is all in for us. What I hope for us is that as we think about how do we as a people keep things simple in our life? That we begin to live from a place of intention and not obligation. When we live with intention and not obligation, you want peace and joy You want love, you want more patience and kindness. That's what you can expect when you live with intention and not out of obligation. Would you stand with me? The one thing that we often um, consider is that our priorities and our busyness, are just a, like, they're just for a season. Like, next week, I'm not going to be as busy. And next week, I'll be able to step in and come alongside some people and engage with my local church community more. Like, next week. And, you know, we're all pretty much adults in here this morning. And we all know that that's not true. It doesn't, change doesn't just happen. We have to choose. We have to decide to make things different, to create a different life for ourselves. You and I, we are not created to live small, insignificant lives, but we are called to live our best life, and out of the life that's been placed within us, That's how we live our best life, when the Spirit of God informs every decision, every choice we make. And so let's declare our faith and let's act on that faith. It takes a deep assessment of our hearts, our minds, We need to think holistically about how we bring ourselves into every space we come into. And guess what? When we do that, we will become really cognizant. We'll be very aware of what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. That's what I hope for us this morning, is that we will not only declare our faith, but we will be people of action. Let me pray for us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're really grateful that uh, you are so patient and kind. You're so gracious that even when we confess with our mouth and our Slow to putting that into action. You are patient and good, continuing to draw us to yourself. God, we confess this morning that we are people that sin. We don't always get it right. But may it be said of us that we are also a people who are quick to repent, quick to come back into alignment with who you say we are. So help us reflect now on our position with you. Where are we out of alignment? What are you saying to us even right now? Help us hear that and move on it. Creating in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. See if there's any wicked, crooked way in me. Lead us in the way everlasting. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.